The following Taisho by Shinge Roshi, Roko Sheri Shayat, was recorded at the Zen Center of Syracuse Hoenji in Syracuse, New York. These recordings are offered for free. We welcome your financial support. To contribute and for further information, please visit www.zencenterofsyracuse.org. Thank you. Blanche Hartman was a very, very dear friend, although I didn't get to see her that often because she was as busy out in San Francisco as I've been busy here on the East Coast. Nonetheless, we had a very deep connection, which continues. So she passed away just after her 90th birthday in May. May 13th was her death day. And in her book, Seeds for a Boundless Life, she speaks of having a verse for our daily activity. And so, for example, she said, here's a verse. This morning, as I wake, I vow with all beings to see each thing as it is and not to forsake the world. So simple, right? To see each thing as it is. How do we see each thing as it is? Or maybe I should put this in the negative. What makes it so difficult to see each thing as it is. Preferences, right? Very important. This, this stickiness of preferences, which includes expectation, which is based on thinking of oneself as a separate entity. And it's almost impossible to get through let alone a day, okay? Uh, how about an instant without a preferential view arising? When we think about the things that make us unhappy or in some way uh, dissatisfied in a kind of maybe not so sharp way but uh, an amorphous way, a kind of low level of disgruntlement. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is it all based on? Really, after all, when we look deeply into this, it is based on the notion of a separate, unchanging entity we call the self. If the self is continuing to generate its views, then the enlightening nature of everything as it is is either unrecognized or seen as not so important as what I'm going through. Now this bird, you know, it's just as it is. 
when I'm not involved in that disgruntlement. There is nothing but. She starts off, this morning as I wake. Of course, we can take it as we get up, the alarm clock rings, okay, I'm awake. But really, if we take it from Buddhist fundamental understanding, that means no preference is getting in the way. Waking up. Waking up. This morning. This not yet another morning, okay, I have to do this, I have to do that, I have to get to the Zendo, and I have to get there before 12 o'clock because otherwise it'll be done, right? <laughs> there has never been before, right? This morning, never before. You too, you take for granted that your unique, amazing Buddha mind is just going to go on and on and on, you know, tomorrow's <laughs> another day and then there's another day. And that is absolutely true for your unique, amazing Buddha mind, which cannot be separated from this. But we tend to get stuck, trapped in what we may call the relative view. Okay, so absolute relative, absolute relative, same as what Heart Sutra says form is exactly shunyata. Shunyata, exactly form. So it's not like, okay, I have to get rid of all my forms and so then I can realize true shunyata. Shunyata is each form. There's nothing left over, nothing lacking, nothing superfluous, okay? I can say these things and you can just stare at me as like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. It's fine. It's just fine, really. I'm not looking for anything. I'm just, you know, maybe some word will be like this bird. I just, <gasps> because words, too, you know, they are forms. And they are formlessness itself. We cannot reject anything, okay? If we understand that everything, every phenomenon, let's put it that way, it sounds more Buddhist, every phenomenon is being given to us all the time.
So this morning, as I wake, as I become what I truly am, awakening to this awakened one. When we say it that way, we can really feel it, right? We awaken to this awakened one, oneness of being the true person. As I said, true person of no rank means no separation, no description, no compared to this or that. No getting stuck in views and preferences. As I awaken to this one, I vow this cannot be separate from awakening. How many times we chant However innumerable all beings are, I vow. And if there is some misapprehension of those words, it may appear as if there are beings out there and there is an I in here vowing. And so we may feel, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, those are a lot of them. Innumerable means a lot, right? And I, I am not up to it. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and so we limit ourselves, right? By having this kind of view. Uh, we really limit ourselves thinking, well, maybe I'll save that person over there that I like. Yeah, but that person, yeah. hopeless. And then if we get to really look at it, we see I am hopeless. How am I going to do any good to anyone? Actually, this kind of despair often brings people to practice. And here again, this is where words can be so helpful until they become unhelpful. There may be some word, something in what you read when you first are introduced to Still on a conceptual level, I'll use the word, the idea of awakening. The idea that you are sentient being, therefore, cannot be separate from Buddha, fundamentally Buddha. And if I were to go around the room and ask you, do you remember the book or the phrase or the word that brought you here out of your despair? I imagine it would be very interesting, right? 
So yes, for some people it may never have been a word. It may just have been a sound, like a bird. But I will ask you, think back. Was there a certain book or a certain phrase that you came upon that radically changed your approach to your suffering and made you feel there's something I can take up or go toward. Anybody? Sure. Um, I was in despair and I called out for help just to the universe and I got a call from Jika who I hadn't talked to or seen in two years. Mm -hmm. and she had had a, an event that urged her to call me. Mm -hmm. And so I came over here and sat and we practiced breathing and everybody thought I was crazy but I had an event. You know, uh, Some breakthrough, just through breathing. So do you remember anything that she said, or was it just the invitation itself? Well, it was the vision she had of my letting go of everything. Mm, so those words are very important. Yeah. I'm trying to make a point here that although we often say words cannot convey the true nature of the universe, we may really have that feeling, not just chanting the Dhamma Sutra, but really have that feeling. Those words are important. And really, it was right there on that cushion. She was here on this cushion, and she said, breathe. And I did. For the first time, you Kevin just wrote a wonderful piece for the commemorative book for the 40th anniversary of DBZ. And uh, maybe you can give a capsule of that to everyone. Especially, you know, this, this word, breathe, right? Um, what words do I choose? <laughs> um, I remember there was one moment when I first started coming here, I had lunch with Lucan, and we were talking, and the word, this great light, stood out. This great? Or the words, this great light. Light. Uh, or sometimes we say this great matter, or so forth, but uh, just that beneath all of my problems and issues and insecurities, there's this light shining. Beneath all of what we believe to be true of ourselves, there is this light. Yeah. But the word breathe in what you wrote mm. had to do with being born. Right. Not born again, but born. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, um, I had trouble breathing when I was first born. And uh, when I first started studying Zen in college, my professors uh, said something to the effect that no matter what happens, you can always breathe. 
just that idea that again, you can go to the very root and just keep going deeper and deeper. That whatever is happening is just that it's even happening is, is in a way a gift. To return to this, just breathe. Amazing advice from a college professor. <laughs> Especially for someone who was a blue baby, of whom it was assumed no breath unless some intervention, right? Yeah. Who else would like to say? Yes? Zen mind, beginner's mind. Zen mind, beginner's mind. Shunyu Suzuki had a way of putting it in that book that was so deeply transformative for almost everyone I know who read it. It's such a classic, but I still remember coming upon that and seeing his picture on the back cover. And his picture conveyed as much as his words. That face, so beautiful. It's true, in fact, um, the, the next, so I took Buddhism and the next semester Dana took Buddhism and um, we went, his class went on a trip to DBC, so I went along and we were in different cars and we were passing one of the other cars and somebody put that picture up in the window, like <laughs> he was sitting there in the car. <laughs> it, was, it was like this transformational moment. I've been working on this anniversary book, as I mentioned, doing a chronicle of from 1893 when Son Shaku first came to 2016. Here we are. And one of the key memories for me was sitting in the Zendo December 4th at Shoboji, 1971, and Eda Roshi telling us that Shinyu Suzuki had just passed away. Everyone in that room was how shall I say it was as intimate to each one of us as any family loss could have been. It was really a sense of this family who had been so deeply encouraged by our patriarch, Shinryu Suzuki. Anyone else? A word that you recall changing things for you or determining mm, the trajectory that brought you here today? I found a booklet. You found a booklet? At Seven Rays. Um, I don't remember. Seven Rays Bookstore, <laughs> wow. Can you believe that they're not anymore with us? And in the booklet, there was a story of a witch and her pet monkey. Mm -hmm. 
a witch and yes. her pet monkey. And, and the witch's house was a mess uh, because whenever she tried to do something, the monkey would run around and, and mess things up. So she brought the monkey outside and there was a tree and she said, climb up to the top of the tree and when you get to the top, climb back down and when you get to the bottom, climb back up. And she tried that once and the monkey did that for a couple times and then came back and made a mess of the house and she brought it back down until the monkey could go up and down. And then at the end of the story it said, this house is our lives, mm. and the monkey is our mind. Mm -hmm. Our monkey mind, which can really be trained. And this is incredible, you know, in terms of bringing you to the practice. Wow, it's true. Train that monkey. This is the year of the monkey. All of us have had the experience of our lives being messed up by our minds, right? And it's all coming back again to that word preferential mind. Views that other people are in some way threatening or that we feel they don't have a right to exist. They should somehow be kept away. or change according to what we believe to be the way things should be. It takes a lot of energy to keep that going, doesn't it? You're messing up my house again. Who else? Anyone remember something that you read? If this brought me here, but it Help me get out of a long illness. I received a letter from a, um, uh, I think she was Benedictine nun, and she, on a card, it was just a three by five card, she wrote the verse Ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door shall be opened. And she wrote, This is absolute truth. And I think there was something about her faith that was transmitted, it wasn't just the verse, it was like, this is my experience that came through that letter. So important. Yeah. When you feel the words are true for the person who said them or wrote them, mm -hmm. and that, that truth is your truth, mm -hmm. that's when this awakening mind happens. This morning as I wake, I vow with all beings. Buddha said this when he awakened. All beings and I together. Are perfect and complete, sometimes translated this way. All beings and I together are seeing each thing as it is.
this is hard to believe when you have some opening experience and then you go to your job or maybe even to your family and they're still bitching about this and that and you know complaining and telling you what a stupid idiot you are and everything and it's very hard to believe well I, I just experienced that you and I are <laughs> seeing each thing as it is Here's where <clears throat> the Bodhisattva never despised from the Lotus Sutra can be turned to even when people were hurling rocks at him. He could never despise them. All he said was, someday you too will become a Buddha. Right in this minute, this someday is not some distant thing, you know, that you right now are going to finally become something wonderful. No, it means someday, as in this is right now. This is the notion of time that we have to really deeply realize and actualize. This is the same as saying form is exactly shunyata. So this notion of time as a past, as a quote-unquote present and a future that we are encountering <clears throat> holds no truth. There is no such thing. So to have this feeling of, okay, the oneness of all being and also at the same time, the uniqueness of each thing as itself and suffering taking place always. Dukkha is being expressed out of this relativity, out of this sense of I'm stuck in this place and things will never change out of this fearfulness, you're going to hurt me. Out of this, you know, I can give so many examples, but you all know it. You can put it in your own way. And so she ends that four-line verse that she calls upon, she ends, and not to forsake the world. Not to forsake the world by saying, oh, the world is already enlightened, I don't have to do anything about it. You have to know that and see the suffering of all beings who are not yet in the fullness of their being, which is the same as saying the emptiness of form. So we use these words in ways that are making you crazy, right? You cannot use words that are going to conform to a certain logical way of thinking because then they're no use whatsoever.
And the people who are really doing some wonderful writing right now who capture this paradox of words being both waking up and also discreet and confined and limited are the people in cosmology, astrophysics, all kinds of fascinating things are being written. And of course, the intersection of quantum physics and Buddhism is so rich. Different ways of expressing what we might call fundamental reality. So my latest is The Quantum and the Lotus. I think I told you about uh, Carlo Rovelli's Seven Lessons in Physics, right? Did I talk to you about that book? Mm-hmm, at Dagasasu, I think. Yeah, I'll bring that in next time. It's really great. But anyway, I was at a used bookstore with my son. We tend to do things like that when we visit and uh, I found this, The Quantum and the Lotus, which is written, it's a, it's a dialogue between Matthew Ricard, who's a um, Tibetan Buddhist monk who was born in France and became a scientist, and then walked away from science and began his practice, his training. He and Trinh Nguyen Tuan, who's a Vietnamese, born as a Buddhist, and uh, he became an astrophysicist and has been observing the universe and is now an expert in the formation of galaxies. And uh, Matthew Ricard, in his science, did research in cellular genetics. So here you have it. The tiniest, my most minute, at the cellular level, the gene level, and beyond. More tiny. Tinier, 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 tinier. Which brought him to Buddhism. And someone born into Buddhist Vietnamese family. Okay, love. Out. More, 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 more. Wondrous. The magnificence. Beyond. Beyond, beyond, beyond. Beyond the farthest galaxy. And here they are. Together. In the same moment. In the same space. Just as we are. Is not this amazing? So I want to share about um, another hour of this book, but I won't do it today. <laughs> I'll continue in this uh, investigation of the most infinitely small things are as small as small things can be. The most infinitely large things are as large as large things can be. 
probably recognize what I'm quoting from, yes, some of you? Sosan, third ancestor of Zen. On faith in mind. This word faith or believing in, we changed the translation. Many people have translated it as many, many different. Faith in mind or trust in mind, Mu Song's translation, trust in mind. It gives you the great koan, doesn't it? In a nutshell, what is mind? What is faith? What is trust in mind? This long poem, which we read on Friday of our three-day session almost every time, has so much richness to it. But again, the words are only there to spark your own investigation. Words are just someone cracking open the door. You have to go through, and that nun who gave you that index card was doing just that. She wasn't saying, oh, I read this somewhere and I think it's really wonderful. She was saying, I opened the door. Maybe you want to come through. This is so amazing. All of us have had something, someone, some word, some encouraging invitation. Here we are. And here we are, as Blanche said, not to forsake the world. Not to say, okay, I have realized you're on your own, Joe. <laughs> but this realizing itself is the vow. It cannot be separated. The more deeply we return to the breath, return to this as it is, investigate more fully what is mind. The more this takes place completely without a self, therefore not polluted by preferential thoughts. Hi.